You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you cannot stop, will not stop, trophy drafting fiend. <laughs> What's up, buddy? I'm so happy to hear your voice. You've been so MIA these days. He's alive, ladies and gentlemen. I am alive. I'm in the house. We'll be back to the mean streets of Twitch soon. Real life has gotten figured out, and I am ready to draft. Hopefully, I will be on Twitch this week. That makes me very happy. And it makes a lot of our viewers and listeners happy. I cannot tell you how annoying it is when people come into my Twitch chat and they're like, where's Ben? And I'm like, I'm right here. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. What do weird. you need Ben for? <laughs> um, but you are missed. You are very missed. So yeah, that makes me happy to hear that you'll be, you'll be back. I have been drafting this format up a storm. I am really enjoying it. I know you haven't had a ton of time for the magics these days. So if we check in on the trophy leaderboard, where are you at these days? I am embarrassed to report <laughs> for the first time that I have done, I think, one and a half drafts. That has got to be my lowest number of drafts in between yeah. episodes of Lords of Limited. Wow. Had some big, big life decisions to make, and then, like, life just hit a storm at the end of the school year here. So uh, we'll be getting that number up shortly. So 22 drafts, still six trophies, 36 and 26. I two won the one draft I did, and yes. still have still have a 58% win rate. How about you? I'm up to 79 drafts. Uh, I have 24 trophies. As of this recording, I am in fourth place on the trophy leaderboard. I have a 160 and 72 win-loss rate, and I'm keeping that 69% win rate strong. Yeah, I saw you're just chumming it up with everyone. BDM was telling you on Twitter, like, save some trophies for me, man. <laughs> That's right. Well, I called him out. Matt tagged me in, a, like, a tweet that he had tweeted asking about how many Thalid Omnivores to put in a deck, but I couldn't tell if he was actually asking the question or if he was just trying to make some Thalid salad puns on Twitter. But it seemed like it was a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. All right, so we've got... A lot of stuff to get to today. I've got some stats of my own from my drafts that I want to share with folks. I want to talk about some cards that uh, have gone up or down for me that seem to keep coming up in conversations with Twitch chat. We've got some drafts we want to go through. But before we get into all of that, we've got to talk about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited. It is where you can give back to the show if you so choose. The show will always be free. But we do appreciate the monetary support that a lot of our listeners are choosing to give to us. And we want to give something to you if you choose to give in that way. And the base level is always going to be access to the Lords of Limited Discord chat. This is the place to be on the internet to talk to other degenerate addicted drafters like yourselves we've got a lot of gp competitors there a lot of fnm grinders a lot of mtgo grinders sharing deck lists asking questions about what's the play asking about card evaluations discussing things that we discuss on our show discussing things happening in articles online in other podcasts we just have a really good discourse of a lot of smart limited minds going on there you can get access to our show notes get access to a, a pre-show behind the scenes recording for some higher tier your donations and anytime people donate to the patreon we want to make sure we shout them out on the show so we got a lot of people to welcome to the fold this week we want to welcome brian stephen jeffrey harrison matthew todd joshua benjamin Ariane, michael and daniel thank you all so much we really really appreciate your support 
Thank you so, so, so much. This is insane, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Like, the Discord is blowing up. I finally this week, I just I just said uncle. Like, I could not <laughs> I could not keep up. Uh, I was, yeah. like, too busy, and I would just, like, read whenever I had, like, a short break at school or something. But, like, there's too much happening for me to, like, feel like I can post unless I've got, like, a decent amount of time. It's awesome. It's got, it's a mind of its own. Yes, I, I feel like it's, you know, and it hasn't fallen apart without me, which is great. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love you all. Thank you so much. So I wanted to build upon some of the things we talked about last week. We sort of gave like our breakdown of like color power rankings and color pair power rankings, like where we thought we wanted to be in the format. And usually I just keep track of my wins and losses in a spreadsheet of like just that like i post my i'd write down my color pair or like what the deck was maybe put a screenshot of the deck write down wins and losses and keep track of my win rate but our third competitor in the gp matt aka stunlock ftw he has a pretty sweet uh, spreadsheet that he shared with me that i decided to input my data in before it got too deep in the format so i have an idea uh, more specifically about where i'm at in terms of some stats on color pairs and colors for myself so for my own 69 percent win rate that i wanted to share because i think it's pretty interesting so of my 232 matches disgusting disgusting i've been blue in 150 of them so that's 65% of the time I have been blue. So I'm really sticking to the blue I think is the best color because I think all four color pairs that blue is in are good decks. And to that, and you were sort of talking about this last week, I think going into last week's episode, I was like, I think blue, red, and black, green are the best decks. And you were like, I think blue, white is the boogeyman of the format. And I sort of was laughing about it. Like you sounded like you had like PTSD or something. <laughs> but then I, once I had input my stats into this spreadsheet, I realized, oh, blue white is my winningest color pair. I'm 28 and seven with blue white. I'm telling you, man, blue white is great. Even versions of that deck where I'm, I don't think I've ever done worse than two one with it. Like even versions of that deck where I've been like, this can't possibly do anything. It manages to eke out at least two wins and sometimes at trophies. Like that deck is just so good. And I, I'm not sure I quite understand why. Do you have an idea of why it's just so versatile and so resilient? I think there's a couple things. I think it's got access to blue. Like, first of all, like the blue card draw flyers, I think are great. Mm -hmm. If you're not in blue, you're really going to struggle to find access to flyers. And mammoth spider is really the only thing that brick walls the flyers. And then I think the best versions of the deck that have Raph, the two white blue three three that lets you cast historic spells as though they had flash and flying. If you've got Raph, like you can, your deck can almost operate totally at instant speed. So there's a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of ways to outplay your opponent in blue white as well, and then leverage the tempo advantage and the evasion you get from flyers in addition to outplaying your opponent in blue white. That makes sense to me. Um, my other three blue color pairs all have really good records. I'm 32 and 11 with blue red. Um, a lot of people would come into Twitch chat this week and be like, you're always blue red. I always see you as blue red. I'm like, well, it's like, if it's open, I'm going to be in it. And blue is very good. And red is really only good with blue. So that's why you're going to see me do it. Blue black, I'm 28 and 11. Blue green, 19 and 8. So I have over 70% win rate with each blue color pair. That is insane. Of my 24 trophies, I have been blue in 20 of those decks. Wow. That is a strong statistic there. That's strong, right? And like, I, I think we're like beyond preference here. Like, maybe. Like, blue is just very deep, very versatile. Feels like it's often open, maybe because it's so deep. And I just think all four blue decks are good decks in the format. 
So let me let me stop you right there and ask you this. I've been out of the mean streets of Twitch for a bit. So mm-hmm. are other streamers, like is Sasha on that wavelength? Is Dustin on that wavelength with you as well? Yes. Yeah, Sasha and Dustin, I think, are both on. It seems by and large, everyone thinks blue is the best color. And I, especially, it's, there was, there's another uh, pro who's often in my chat, clone22222, uh, who says, like, yeah, if you're drafting blue, you're doing it right. And I think that's really what it's about. Like, I think you have, a, have to have a pretty strong reason to not try and be blue if you can in this format. Yeah. So it seems like everyone is, is on everyone who I whose opinion I trust is on the same page as, as me on this. Sweet. And I wanted to talk about black green because I think this deck is very strong, or at least when I face it, I'm often scared or often find that the games to be difficult or grindy. But I'm not doing well with the archetype. When I finally put these stats, or uh, broke down the stats by a color pair, uh, I'm 21 and 15 with black green. I think the archetype is very strong, but I don't seem to be drafting winning versions of it. And Matt has been drafting a lot of good versions of it or winning versions of it, two ones or three O's. And he posted a bunch of decks in our Discord. He seems to be on a much less like token heavy version of the deck, a much less, you know, we talk about the deck as like it's black green sapperlings, but it seems like it's maybe much less sapperling based and much more just like value grindy based instead what are your thoughts on that i agree with that as well i was actually that's one of the few things i've like popped into discord to talk about i agree that the cards that make one one sapperlings just don't perform because you the sapperlings on their own don't do enough Mm -hmm. you have to have the sapperling lord that gives them plus one plus one or you have to have cards like song of frailies that pump them because a lot of times they just get stopped by a two three like great you're you're whatever the instant speed four swarm three and a green make three one ones at instant speed mm-hmm. awesome you pick that highly you're uncommon that you're excited about my Talarian scholar two and a blue two three just blanks that card yeah if you're you it's so hard to leverage those tokens to attack and then they don't block flyers i just don't think a lot of things have to come together in a row correctly for your sapperlings to get out of control and win you the game yeah, I agree completely. And I, we're going to talk about Sapperling Migration, Spore Swarm's common cousin in uh, just a little bit here. But I think we're both also a little bit down on that card. The other thing I think about Black Green is that it gets embarrassed by Blue White. It's really hard, like, because I think Black Green's, you know, ramping and casting expensive spells. And then if the Blue White deck can get out ahead a little early with a flyer or two and use maybe in the blink of an eye, like one in a blue bounce a permanent. And if you kick it, one in a blue draw card. If they're bouncing your Mammoth Spider two turns in a row, like you probably just lose the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of tempo you're losing when you're investing in one five drop Reachy Boy. I also thought it might be interesting just to throw out what my most drafted commons were at this stage of the game, just because it's kind of funny because the top three are all blue and they're all within a a card of each other. And I think this is probably going to stay true, my number one common, because I seem to be higher on this card than a lot of other people. And that's usually what your top drafted common ends up being. And that's Vodalian Arcanist. I have 62 of these in my collection. That's the one in a blue one three that taps to add a colorless mana for instance or sorceries. This card is good. I, I think People are still sleeping on this card and not realizing that it just does so much. It also pairs really well with my second drafted blue common, Divination. It's a, it's a powerful little one-two punch or two-three punch, as it were. Yeah, both of those cards are insanely good, especially in combination. All right, so we want to talk about a, f- a handful of cards that I think have sparked a lot of conversation this week and have change their evaluation so that we want to double down our evaluations on because we seem to be differing than some people. And the first of those cards that I want to discuss 
is Syncopate. So this is uh, blue and X to counter-target spell unless its controller pays X, and if the spell is countered this way, it's exiled instead of put its, into its owner's graveyard. So... When this card first got spoiled, I was really excited about it. This was an uncommon in its original set in Return to Ravnica, and it was very good in my memory of that set. Uh, we just came off of A25, where Counterspell was very good. Uh, I was excited about this, or scared about this card as a common, and I thought it would, was going to be very good. And I think this card is very tricky to play. I think it's particularly not well-suited in this format because there is not a lot that operates at instant speed other than removal, which you're like, if you're passing with that up, you're, you probably have a target in mind and maybe you should just fire it off on your own turn anyway. So you don't have a lot of options when you pass with syncopate up. And I think if you get punished, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago about like the mini game that syncopate and Gideon's reproach and seal away sort of like present to you that you can be like, oh, they're holding up this mana for a certain thing. And if that certain thing is syncopate, and if I maybe play a little bit off curve and play a cheaper spell to play around syncopate and punish them for that, if you get punished for holding up that mana and burn that mana for a turn, I think it's pretty devastating. And as a result, you're often thrilled to just snap this off on turn two. Like I've been in situations where I have syncopate in my hand, I, I pass on turn two, my opponent drops a two drop. And even if I have, like, Talarian Scholar in my hand, the 3-mana 2-3, which is, like, effectively there to blank their 2-2, I look at my hand and I go, I've got things to do for the next four turns. Like, when am I... And, and by turn six, Syncopate might not be good. So I often feel, like, priced into snapping off the Syncopate to counter their 2-drop, even though I effectively have something that already is blanking that card. I think that this, this card, while it can be powerful and can be good often can be punishing and can be played around. And I, I'm a little bit off of this card. I often have people asking me like, well, why isn't this in your deck? Or like, why aren't you playing this? And it's one of the first cards that was like hard. I was like, I need to sit down and articulate why I feel this way because it was just sort of an intuitive thing, but not something that I like had, had put into words yet. What, what are your thoughts on this card, Ben? That's interesting. I have not played with it a ton, but I have been on the receiving end to the surprise of no one. Many backbreaking <laughs> syncopates because I'm the unluckiest human being alive, but... <laughs> hashtag why me for life yeah of course so it seems powerful to me it seems situationally powerful to me because right you don't want to be syncopating something where you have to pay like x is five but if you ever get a chance to play like on turn five a three drop flyer and then hold up syncopate for x equals one and you get to snap it off it's really good then right yes so i think it's got a super wide range but what i hear you saying is that more often than not it ends up hitting the lower end of the range I think so. I think those situations that you're describing that like turn five, play a three drop, hold up syncopate, get their five drop or six drop is so rare because like you're if you're a smart magic player and your opponent does that, that should be in the back of your mind or the front of your mind even like you should just be like, OK, they're passing with blue X up right now. They could have syncopate. Can I afford to play around that? Can I punish them for doing that? And I think oftentimes you can. If you can just like play a little off curve and delay your five drop a turn and punish them for doing that, for, for them playing off curve and holding up mana, I think that's, I don't think the card is unplayable to any extent. And I have played and will continue to put it in my decks. I just don't think it's a very high pick in blue. And unless I have like, I really like this card when I have like blink of an eye in my deck. But other than that, it's, I think, hard for me to really get excited about putting these in there, like in many multiples, you know? Yeah, I agree. Next one up on this list is the Eldest Reborn. Who was it on Twitter that was posting about this that sparks this discussion? Do you remember? I don't. Did someone post about it specifically? 
Yeah, someone posted on Twitter about uh, like a pack one pick oh, one between Elden. Yeah, posted about the Eldest Reborn versus Vicious Offering versus Eviscerate, I think. I think it might have been Settle, not Eviscerate, but yeah, yeah. So like where the Eldest Reborn falls among those things. So the Eldest Reborn is four and a black for the saga that when it enters the battlefield, the first chapter is your opponent sacrifices a creature. The second chapter is your opponent discards a card. And the third chapter is you return a creature card from either graveyard to play. The first copy of this, I think we're on the same page here, is that it's better than all the other black removal spells. Yes. And it looks unassuming, but an edict, a discard, and a zombify are all medium to good effects, and rolled up into one card is super powerful. And then there's also shenanigans with this where you can bounce it or recur it or blink it when it's just absolutely 100% backbreaking. So I think this card's floor, it's going to be like fine to good and its ceiling is super super high like sometimes this card just single-handedly wins you the game yeah sometimes this card like this card is liliana of the veil at uncommon like think about liliana of the veil you it enters the battlefield you minus it to have them sacrifice a creature then you plus it and then it dies but in this case when it dies you get a creature from the graveyard into play (laughs) It's a very, very powerful effect. I had a situation when I where I drafted two of these, and then I also had deep freezes in my deck, and then I got to deck building, and I realized how awkward the Eldest Reborn is with deep freeze. If you like put that on a creature, and they go, okay, I sacrifice the creature that you put deep freeze on. Yeah. So realize that that tension exists. And yes, it's not super exciting against Sapperlings or Call the Cavalry tokens, but it's still one of the best uncommons in the set. Don't sleep on this card. Um, the next card we want to talk about is Blessed Light. This is four and a white for the instant to exile target creature or enchantment. Sort of ironic that I'm talking about this because I put this on the list before I did my little stream today and then trophied with a deck that had five copies of these. But I feel like I'm lower on this card than the rest of the community. This is not quite a pull into white for me, and I still have Gideon's Reproach ahead of this uh, in terms of like number one and number two white commons. There is a lot of good removal in this set. And yes, this is an instant, and yes, it exiles, which does matter with the amount of graveyard recursion that exists. And yes, it can pick off enchantments, which is also relevant with Deep Freeze or Sagas floating around. But it costs five, and I think that's still a steep cost in a set with a lot of powerful things to do at common at four and five mana. So I'm just very loath to like jump into taking these early, because I feel like this makes your curve super high, which is super awkward, because there's not a lot of good things to do early in this format. Yeah, I agree uh, to a certain extent, but I still think Blessed Light pulls me into white. So let me ask you this. You're pretty high on Eviscerate, right? At four mana, sorcery speed, destroy target creature? Yes. So is the one mana that big of a difference for you to get instant speed and an exile? And enchantment flexibility? I think the answer that I may need to come to is no, it's not that big of a deal. Because you're rarely double spelling when you cast eviscerate and i think there's so my thought process is that there's so many things in this format that you just lose to games come down at least in my experience like games come down to bombs haymakers Mm -hmm. oftentimes either that or just like raw card advantage Mm -hmm. and the games where it's not raw card advantage having access to a card like blessed light to deal with your opponent's multani or deal with their whatever the card they stole with their in bolus's clutches Mm -hmm. is just like super super important and i'm still valuing that pretty highly yeah i think i mean i put this on this list before i had that match 
those matches today. And I think after that, I might be a believer of putting Blessed Light at number one. Like, I had one Gideon's Approach in that deck and five Blessed Lights, and if the numbers were reversed, that deck wouldn't have come close to winning. Blessed Light was just able to do so many things that, like, picking off a Song of Freylice before they got all their counters and were able to attack me for a billion, you know? Like, that's really valuable that Gideon's Approach just can't do. I think another pull for Blessed Light, or another point in Blessed Light's favor, is that while you and I are looking to avoid drafting aggressive decks, I think Blessed Light, white wants to be aggressive, and Blessed Light at the top of your curve in a white deck that's looking to tempo your opponent out or whatever is often really strong too. Like, I can't tell you the number of times my opponent has been playing white and started aggressively, and I feel like I've stabilized, I've played my Mammoth Spider, and then they go to Blessed Light on turn five, and I just am like, well, crap, like I'm probably going to lose this game. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. All right, I think... This discussion, I think my experience today may have pushed this card into the number one spot for me. Yeah. Next up on this list, we've got Sorcerer's Wand. This card has been impressive, especially in Blue-Red Wizards. You're not supposed to pick it highly, and I don't think every deck wants it. So Sorcerer's Wand is the, it costs one mana, three to equip, and when it equips onto a creature, you can tap the creature to deal one damage to target player, and if the creature was a wizard, it deals two damage instead when you tap it. So this card's super strong if the board is stalled out, right, and your opponent doesn't have ways to break through the board stall, it's going to single-handedly win you the game in that situation. So there's tons of situations if you put it on Quadrant Theory, for example, where it does nothing. But maybe if after sideboarding you think the game's like fairly likely to get to that state, this card wins the game in a board stall in a hurry, especially in a Wizards deck. You know, you turn three lands into tap, deal two damage. I also think there are like blue X decks that maybe have like some cold water snappers at the top. Spoiler, we're about to talk about cold water snapper that like are light on win cons. Like they feel it's like, I feel like I can stabilize against a lot of decks, but then like, how do I win? Like maybe you just didn't get quite enough flyers to push through damage. And I think this card can get the job done. Yeah, I agree. All right. Speaking of, I want to talk about the big bad turtle cold water snapper. This is five and a blue for the four or five with hexproof. This card is the truth. I, I kind of wonder how like big and dumb they have to make a hexproof creature before it isn't just like an absolute house in limited. Um, I think this plus arcane flight, the single blue plus one plus one and flying aura is a real win con for some blue decks that don't quite get there on power level and is really difficult for non green white decks to interact with. Like, I say non-green-white decks because I think the only way to really interact with this is through combat tricks, and that's what green-white excels at. So I, I think we will start to see these disappearing from packs sooner. I, I think I was sort of lumping this in with like the other sort of like replaceable six drops like Partic Wanderer, the Artifact, six mana, five, five Trampler, or like Feral Abomination, the five and a black, five, five Death Touch. Like, and, and this card is just like, I think, miles above those. It's really tough to interact with. It's a real house on the board. And if you have anything, like, God forbid you're putting in equipment on this. I had Helm of the Host on this earlier this week. It wears a Sorcerer's Wand quite well. Like, just a very, very good way to not die against opposing decks. Next up here, we've got the Antiquities War and the Mirari Conjecture, a couple blue build-arounds. I think you're off of both of these. I'm certainly off of the Antiquities War. I drafted it in my last draft that I'm currently one and one with, and I think this card like single-handedly train wrecked me. <laughs> the Antiquities War, I think, encourages you to put a lot of bad cards in your deck 
And I don't think that's where you want to be in this format because I think there are a lot of good cards that you can put in your deck. So yeah. the Antiquities War is the three and a blue saga that lets you search up an artifact twice on the first two chapters, like dig five cards and put an artifact into your hand. And on the third chapter, all your artifacts become five fives. And then the Mirari Conjecture is four and a blue for the saga that lets you on the first chapter return an instant, second chapter return a sorcery, and then the third chapter lets you cast those instants and sorceries and copy them uh, the turn you cast them on its third chapter. So the Antiquities War just really doesn't get there for me. I think you should try to avoid it. The Mirari Conjecture, I'm not quite as off of. I've not played with or against <clears throat> it, but I've heard stories of people just going off of it. What are your thoughts on the Mirari Conjecture? I think they're both powerful cards. I think Mirari Conjecture much better than Antiquities War. But I think you just need to be looking to not warp your draft around them because I feel like that's what I've sort of done. Like after, I think last week we were like, look, there are powerful build arounds in the set, get excited about them, try and make them work. And I think these fall in that category and conjecture is better. But I also have found like, well, at the end of the draft, like I'm looking at my deck and I have like four instants and two sorceries. This card doesn't belong there. So like, don't bend over backwards. I think like try and build around them, but be willing to move off of them like they require a lot i think and it's hard to get there when you get there i think you get paid off quite a bit but it's tough like mari conjecture you do nothing the turn you play it and then you really have to have two spells already in your yard that you want to get back and then by chapter two you're like well do i fire off the instant that i got back because i want to wait to get the bonus in chapter three and so it like requires you to be stable enough to cast it and then stable enough to like hold those spells for chapter three i think there's a lot that it asks of you that's all i'm saying yeah we got to talk about chainer's torment here because we talked about this card like a few weeks ago and like our initial impressions about like maybe this belongs in a, a black aggro deck this is the saga for uh two black black or i think it's actually just three and a black first two chapters are you drain your opponent for two and then the third chapter is uh you lose half your life and then you create an xx token where x is your power or x is your life total this card is terrible. I have had this card cast against me <laughs> multiple times. I think greater than 10 times. I have never lost to this card. I feel like often this card just like comes into play on my opponent's side of the battlefield, deals four to me, and then deals like 10 or 12 to them, and then I kill that creature. It's just not a very good card. Yeah, I also feel pretty good when my opponent casts this card. Oftentimes I'm blue and I have an in-blink of... Like, you're just salivating if you have in the blink of an eye in your hand, right? Uh, oh, when they yeah. cast this card. I think it's probably playable if you need a black historic trigger, but I would not advise looking to put this card in your deck as well. No way. Next on this list, we've got our boy, Howling Golem. Yeah, this is like, I think, the Lords of Limited mascot right here. I love this card. Me too. Three mana for a 2-3 artifact. It's so good. It does it all. This card is a C plus borderline like B minus if you're interested probably not B minus it doesn't pull you into historic but if you've got historic things going on you are happy 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 to put this card in your deck so just a, a three mana two three is fine in this format and the fact that this card when it does anything attacks or blocks draws each of you a card that's not a drawback and I think oftentimes it's a plus because I think in general at least for me and you we're assuming we're good drafters and that our deck is better than our opponents. And so if we have the opportunity to see more cards, it just gives you more decisions to make, gives your opponent more decisions to make, and maybe they're going to make the wrong ones. I think mm -hmm. like people, I think get stuck on the fact that maybe sometimes, you know, you play this card and maybe your opponent like missed a land drop. You still attack with this card. Maybe they find their land a little earlier. You're going to get ahead in cards and decision making 
this card smooths things out and makes it so that you get to play games of magic. It is good. Put it in your deck. Most importantly, this is the crucial missing link for the mill deck. So, Ben, I had my greatest limited experience, I think, ever this week. <laughs> I drafted a mono blue mill deck in limited, and it won. It worked. I saw the list on Twitter. It looked disgusting. I even had an opponent in match two side into a deck of 59 cards for game three, and I still milled them out. And the key to this deck was it had five copies of Howling Gold. <laughs> and Howling Gold was just the truth in this. It like triggers your diligent excavators, and then also like when it attacks or blocks, it's not only working towards like fueling your hand, but it's drawing them cards, which is also milling them. It's a really, really good piece to the mill deck. But yeah, the card is just it just does it all. Um, the next card we want to talk about is Gitu Journey Mage. Now, this is something that I think I was higher on last week than you were when we were talking about wizards. I'm so over this card. Yeah, I am too. Like, I would just much rather have Talarian Scholar in my wizards deck, and really any deck for that matter, than this. Three twos for three are miserable. And the two damage on ETB, I think, is just so rarely relevant. Like, this, the Llanowar Envoy, that's the two and a green, three two, that can, like, filter for one and a green your mana into any color. There's, like, Davenant Trapper, the two and a white, three two, that when you cast Historic, you can tap something. Like, I just think all these three mana three twos are not worth it in this format. But to be clear, though, Deathbloom Salad still is good, right? The two and a black for the three two? Yeah, but that's because it blocks well. Like, it trades with something then leaves behind something that you can use later. Right. These other cards just don't do that. I agree completely. Next on this list, we've got Sapperling Migration. Talked about this a little earlier in the episode. We're sort of down on this card. It really only excels in green, black, or green, white. And even there, so many different things have to come together to make the 1-1s one relevant. You have to have ways to pump them if you want to attack with them. They don't stop things in the air. Yes, when your opponent has a Lord in play or when they have some sort of mass pump effect, it feels backbreaking, but I think those times are few and far between. Yeah, I also think in a world of modal 1-3s like the G2 Journey Mage or um, Caligo Skin Witch, this card is pretty miserable on turn 2, so it's basically just a 6-drop. And 6 mana for 4 one is not exciting at all. Like, un again, unless you have ways to leverage those 1-1 one -one bodies. Um, next up on this list, we want to talk about Rescue. This is single blue for the instant to return target permanent you control to its owner's hand. This is a card I have not been that mad playing. Mostly I've been playing it in blue-red decks. Uh, and if I have like a couple ETB creatures, especially Fire Fist Adept, that's the like Flame Tongue Kabu wizard creature for four and a red, um, maybe a Saga or two that I want to bounce. Certainly Haphazard Bombardment is a card I've been playing with a lot this week. That's the five and red enchantment that like comes into play, puts four counters on non-enchantment permanents, and then you like destroy one of those at random, down to one, like as long as there's like more than one in play. Um, so like when you rebuy that and then replay it, you get four more counters on things, so you get to blow up things as long as the game is going along. This card will often make my deck if I have enough of those. Like, it's a poor man's blink of an eye. Like, if I have three blink of an eyes, I can't imagine running Rescue. But if I only have one blink in my deck or zero blinks, Rescue's probably going to go in there. The fact that, like, it can save your creature from a removal spell and then also combos with, like, rebuying an ETB trigger or rebuying a powerful enchantment like that, I think that just all adds up to a card that is not embarrassing to make your deck. That's interesting to me. That all makes sense to me hearing you say that. And I think the more that I think about this format and the more that I've played it, I feel like double spelling is really critical in this format. And that's just another way to double spell. Yeah, for sure. As long as you're getting value out of it. Like I'm not saying, you know, like I'm not saying just like rebuy 
I don't know, Yavamaya Sapert or something to like get another 1-1. That's not the most exciting, but you know, try and get as much value out of it as possible. But it really can do a bit of work. Last on this list, we've got Aether Glider. Frank Laporte has recently sort of described this as a three-mana enchantment that deals two to your opponent each turn and sometimes doesn't even do that, right? right. So we're, I think, coming down on this card a little bit. Yes, it has a place maybe in historic decks, but I think by and large, we were saying this might be better than Academy Drake. I think Academy Drake is just the way to go as your three-mana two-power flyer of choice. Yeah, the fact that like we're so high on blocking in this format and that this has the text cannot block on it, and it's like the only thing in the format that says that. It's really, really hard for me to like feel good about making this making my deck, especially when I see opposing flyers on the battlefield. I'm like, you mean I can't trade? You mean I can't leave this back to block? That really pains me. So yeah, I think I'm definitely on Academy Drake over that. All right, that wraps it up for the card evaluations. We're going to take a look at some drafts here. So we were talking about like what we wanted to do for an episode this week, and this is normally about the time that we do Pro Tour draft review, right? The Pro Tour is late this, this yeah, format. Yeah, we have though. like three, four weeks until the Pro Tour happens. And I think another thing that's tricky about this format is that the format's super deep and super hard, and there's a lot of different ways to draft it. Um, so after giving you some deck outlines, some some sketches of decks last week, we wanted to go deeper on some drafts this week, like eight picks deep on most of these drafts. We're going to sit down and do several roundtables. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're going to start off with Seth Manfield's day two draft from GP Dallas-Fort Worth. Ben, you ready to take a seat? Let's do it. All right, so you sit down, you open a pack, you're thumbing through it, and you see the following cards. Academy Drake, two and a blue for the 2-2 flyer that has kicker for four mana, and if you kick it, it comes into play with two plus one plus one counters on it. Call the Cavalry, three and a white for the Sorcery to put two 2-2 two, two Knight tokens with Vigilance into play. Shivan Fire, single red for the instant to deal two damage to a creature, and has kicker of four. If you kicked it, it deals four to that creature instead. Shauna Sisse's Legacy. This is green-white for the 0-0 legendary creature. Uh, can't be the target of abilities your opponents control, and it has power toughness equal to the number of creatures you control. And Rite of Belzenlock is your rare. This is the two black-black for the Saga. The first two chapters put two zero one one creature tokens into play. And then the third chapter, you sacrifice the Saga, and you get a 6-6 Flying Trample Demon creature token in play. And it has, at the beginning of your upkeep, you sacrifice a creature. If you can't, this creature deal six damage to you yeah right up bells and lock is a good rare i think you're picking it over all of the commons most uncommons it just seems pretty clear here to me i think this card is very strong too but i often i wonder if i'm overvaluing it i feel like i often have people in twitch chat like disagreeing with me on this pick and certainly twitch chat rarely knows what they're talking about but like even <laughs> even people whose opinions i trust I think I wonder, like, I think about this card on the other side of the battlefield sometimes, and, you know, you've got set up for it. It allows you to, like, know that you need a removal spell in two turns, and God forbid you have bounce or blink of an eye, that sort of thing. Like, it's not like it's undeal withable, but it does present something that must be dealt with most of the time. Yeah, I think it just does enough. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, like, for example, I think I would take in Bolas Clutches over this card, sure. or I would take Fight with Fire over this card, or... Probably not Untamed Kavu, I don't think, but... Are you taking the Eldest Reborn over this card? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think maybe. I think maybe too. I think so. So then are you taking... But are you... <clears throat> what about the other removal spells, like Settle the Score or Eviscerate? No. Yeah, I think I'm... I think that's where I'm at too. I think the sagas that are powerful are so powerful. <laughs> yep, I agree. Just because they can be recurred or bounced or whatever. 
All right, so Seth agrees. He scooped up the right of Bell's Lock there and moved on to pick two. Uh, you see Wizard's Lightning. That's two in red for the instant to deal three damage to target creature or player. Or maybe it, maybe it now says, what, any target? That's the new templating. Yeah. Um, but it costs two less to cast if you control a wizard. I keep seeing all these pros talking about misplaying because they target players. And I'm like, well, sorry. <laughs> Sucks to play constructed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cloud Reader's Sphinx is next. That's four and a blue for the three, four flyer that when it ETBs lets you scry two. On Sarah's Wings is three and a white for the legendary enchantment. Uh, it enchants a creature. The enchanted creature is legendary and it gets plus one, plus one and has flying, vigilance, and lifelink. Uh, fiery Intervention, four and a red for the sorcery. Choose one, destroy target artifact or deal five damage to a creature. And Danathan Capuchin Paragon, that's two and a white for the legendary creature. It's a 2-2. It has First Strike, Vigilance, and Lifelink, and has relevant text that is below that, which says that Equipment and Aura spells you cast cost one less to cast. I had a turn where I could have double-spelled with this and Deep Freeze, and I didn't because I was dumb and didn't realize that Deep Freeze was one mana cheaper. Oh, brutal. Yeah. So looking at this pack... I think I would narrow it down fairly quickly to the uncommons, Danatha, On Sarah's Wings, and Wizard's Lightning. I think between Danatha and On Sarah's Wings, I think On Sarah's Wings is a much stronger, more powerful card. So then between On Sarah's Wings and Wizard's Lightning, I think I just want to be white way more than I want to be red. So I'm in for On Sarah's Wings here. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think I have On Sarah's Wings as the best white uncommon above Sarah Angel and Seal Away and Danatha and, and the rest. Um, this card is just backbreaking, I think, when it can connect and can't be dealt with. It just runs away with the game. Seth decided to grab Danatha here, uh, perhaps un not valuing the, the aura as highly as, as you and I do. Uh, moving on to pick three, you see the following cards. There's a Jousting Lance. This is two mana for the equipment. The equip cost is three, and equipped creature gets plus two plus oh, and has first strike as long as it's your turn. Uh, he sees another Danatha. He sees a Triumph of Gerard. This is one and a white for the uh, Uncommon Saga. The first two chapters have you put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control with the greatest power. And then the third chapter, uh, you sacrifice the Saga, and target creature you control with the greatest power uh, gets flying, first strike, and lifelink until end of turn. And there's also a blink of an eye in the pack. That's one and a blue for the instant to bounce target non-land permanent and as kicker for one and a blue that lets you draw a card lots of good options here i think if danitha was good enough for seth last time it's probably good enough again and if you and i had been taking on sarah's wings i think we'd still be on danitha here over triumph of gerard yeah it feels like the community at large is down on triumph of gerard i, I feel like you came in hot on this card i came up to it and then it just felt like this card doesn't do a ton right this feels like a weaker saga in the format I agree. Yeah, I'm a lot lower on Triumph of Gerard now. Frequently on my opponent's side of the battlefield, it puts a plus one plus one counter on the same creature twice, and then I kill that creature, and then the third chapter goes off and is not super relevant. Yeah, that's what I found as well. All right, so we've got uh, Black Rare in Rite of Belzenlock, and then two strong white uncommons. Seth has two Danathas, you and I have a Danatha, and are on Sarah's Wings. Pack four, you see the following cards. Vodalian Arcanist, one and a blue for the 1-3 that can tap for a generic mana for casting instants or sorceries. Divination, two and a blue for the sorcery to draw two cards. Adamant Will, uh, one and a white for the instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains indestructible until the end of turn. There's another Shana, Sisay's Legacy, the green-white uncommon. A Mesa Unicorn, one and a white for the two-two creature with lifelink. 
And Mishra's Self-Replicator says 5 mana for the 2-2 artifact creature that says whenever you cast a historic spell, you can pay 1, and if you do, you create a copy of Mishra's Self-Replicator. Yeah, that card is very, very strong. So lots of good options here in the pack, but I think the card with the highest upside is Mishra's Self-Replicator by a lot. And Seth already has three historic cards. That card is looking pretty juicy right now, and hopefully he's identified as well as you and I that this card is capable of doing some serious work and can get out of hand in a hurry. So I think I'd be on Mishra's Self-Replicator here. Yeah, he did recognize its power and did snap it up. I was a little worried watching this draft that he was going to grab the Mesa Unicorn out of the pack, but he stayed strong. Pick five, uh, you see the following cards. This is the, the Ben Wernie Memorial card here. Mammoth Spider, four and a green for the three five with reach. Uh, Relic Runner, one and a blue for the two one that says when uh, if you've cast a historic spell this turn, this creature is unblockable. Soul Salvage, which is two and a black for the sorcery to return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. Yargle, Glutton of Urborg, four and a black for the nine three legendary creature with flavor text. And Pegasus Courser, uh, two and a white for the one three with flying that when it attacks lets you give another target attacking creature flying until end of turn. Yeah, so I think regardless of how you've navigated this draft, you're very solidly in white. And I think Pegasus Courser is just the best card out of all of these cards, in addition to going along with the color pair that you already are. So I think this is a pretty clear Pegasus Courser. Yeah, I agree and Seth agrees. Pick six. I see the following cards. Divest, single black for the sorcery. Uh, Target player reveals their hand. You choose a creature or artifact card from it, and they discard that card. Where are you at on divest these days in terms of, like, main deck ability? I still feel the same as I did last week, obviously, because I haven't done any drafts. (laughs) I think this card's a fine 20 through 20 second card. I think it's main deckable, not embarrassing to main deck. I think you're hoping to not run it, but if you need a card in that you know, last last card in the deck. I think Devest does a fine job. All right, that's fair. Uh, Sentinel of the Pearl Trident. I gotta give you some points for this card, because this card is a lot better than I initially thought. I've played this way more than I thought I would. This is a four and a blue for the three three with flash that when it ETBs allows you to flicker, not really flicker, like pseudo flicker, uh, historic permanent. You like exile it, and then it comes into play at the beginning of the next end step. I have used this to blink many a saga on chapter three, and you were saying that was going to happen, and I told you that was magical Christmas land. Yes, so we're doing it. Yeah. I have not done that yet, and I look forward to accomplishing it. No, you will. You will for sure. Uh, Excavation Elephant is also in the pack. This is four and a white for a three, five creature that has kicker for one and a white. And if you kick it when it ETBs, you can return an artifact from your graveyard to your hand. Doesn't come up that often. Uh, And there's another Academy Drake, the two and a blue, two, two with kicker. Yeah, so this I think is a tougher pick here. So... Reasonable cards, I think, are actually all of them. I mean, if you want to, you're strictly black and white now, regardless of how you've navigated this draft. Mm -hmm. So I think Divest is fine. I think you're hoping to not play it, but it's also a very strong sideboard card. Uh, You're going to miss it if you don't have a copy of Divest in your sideboard, I think. Excavation Elephant, I'm a little less excited about, although we do have Mishra's Self-Replicator, which is cute. Yeah, that's fair. And then Academy Drake and Sentinel of the Pearl Trident. I think Sentinel of the Pearl Trident has a much higher upside. Academy Drake does though leave you outs to just like audible into blue white flyers here i think that sounds pretty tempting to me to maybe just move off this right of bells and lock here i think i might snap up academy drake and be looking to to feel out if blue white flyers is open yeah that seems right 
to me, like just getting another cheap play. Like we've talked about how there's just like not very good three drops in this format. And especially if you're Seth, you've got two Danithas already, like get yourself another good three drop that has a, a mode for top decking and to put some mana in later if you get to seven mana. I like that quite a bit as well. But I do not fault Seth at all. I, I don't fault the number one player in Magic this year for taking Sentinel of Pearl Trident. I mean, he's already got... Uh, saga that he can blink with it um, he's got a number of historic permanents he can save with it though i find that that mode doesn't come up a lot like when you're passing with sentinel mana up it's usually you've usually got a plan with it and it's not to like save a creature from a removal spell that turn but yeah so he grabs that um he started off pack two with a couple strong black removal spells and ended up settling into a pretty strong looking black white stuff deck um, but that's often what these black-white decks look like to me. I'm still still not quite clear on what a really good black-white deck looks like, and I think it might be more aggressive than I would like it to be. That's that's my thoughts on black-white these days. I think so, too. I think it's looking to come out early and back the early startup with Eviscerate and the white, four and a white exile target creature enchantment that we were talking about. Is it Blessed Light? Blessed Light, yeah. Um, I think that's what they look like with all 20 of my drafts of experience. <laughs> The next draft we want to take a look at is Aaron Rubin. This is his top eight draft. You ready to take a seat and check this one out? Yes, please. All right, pack one. You see the following options. Deep Freeze. This is two and a blue for an enchantment that enchants target creature. Turns it into a defender, 04, and loses all abilities. Next, Cast Down. One and a black for the instant. Destroy target non-legendary creature. Adelie's one blue red for the 2 2 flyer that has haste as well. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, gives all wizards you control plus one plus one until end of turn. Baloth Gorger, two green green for the 4 4 and also has kicker four. And if you kick it, comes into play with three plus one plus one counters. And your rare is Yogmoth's file offering four and a black for the legendary sorcery. When you cast it, you return target creature or planeswalker from a graveyard uh, to the battlefield under your control, and then you destroy target creature or planeswalker. I had a draft earlier this week where I had not one, not two, but three Karn's Temporal Sundering, which is the, the blue legendary sorcery that lets you bounce a permanent and then time walk, take an extra turn. Yeah. Uh, they all ended up in my sideboard. I just didn't get there on legendary creatures. And I was just like ready to take whatever legendary creatures came my way and they just didn't happen. And I think Karn's Temporal Sundering is the best of the bunch of the legendary sorceries. I wonder if these are a bit of a trap. I'm, I'm still like trying to figure out because I like was, I was very low on them and now, and then I went very high on them. And now I'm trying to figure out like where to settle on when to take them. If you don't have legendaries, how early to take them, how to move off of them. And if Karn's Temporal Sundering is tough in the best color, in a color that has a cheap, uncommon legendary creature in Tetsuko, Yawgmoth's Vile Offering, while powerful, is really tough to set up, I think, and I think might be a trap. Pack one, pick one. And with my experience there, I think that leads me to rule that card out and look at the two uncommons that you listed, Cast Down and Adelie's. I really, really like the Blue-Red Wizards deck. I would rather not take Adelie's first, um, just because I feel like it's high, high risk, high reward first pick. And I would probably just settle on Cast Down here as, like, not the best removal spell, but very solid, very efficient, and very splashable, too, if I end up having to move off of Black. I think I'm on... I'm, I think I'm feeling risky. I think I would be first picking Adelie's out of this pack, knowing that Cast Down might be the smarter, safer pick. But I think I would be, at this point... At least how I'm feeling right now. I'm trying to spike some drafts, get my win rate up a little bit. <laughs> so you're you're on the wizard's train now, huh? 
No, but I think Adelie's is super good. More that I'm not impressed by Cast Down, I think. Oh, it's Cast Down is still good. It's still like I think a it's good. B yes. minus yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I just think if you get there with Adelie's, it will be a much better card than Cast Down in your deck. Aaron disagrees with both of us. He took Yogmoth's Vile Offering, maybe falling into that trap a little bit. Pick two, you see the following options. Call the Cavalry, three and a white, make the two two twos with Vigilance. Deep Freeze again. Grow from the ashes, two and a green for the sorcery. Search up a basic land from your library and put it into play. If you kick it for two, you get to go get two basic lands and put them into play. Fiery Intervention, four and a red, deal five damage to target creature or destroy target artifact. Um, so no black card here to speak of to follow up my cast down with or to follow up Aaron's Yogmoth's Vile Offering. But I would grab Grow from the Ashes here. One, I think black green is a good color pair, even though I can't seem to, to win with it very well. But also, Grow from the Ashes is one of the only fixing in the set, uh, other than Skittering Surveyor. And it ramps. And if I end up base green something, it allows me to splash cast down if I want. Um, so I think that all adds up to a card that I'm excited to take second. Yeah, I think if I had first picked Adelie's, I would maybe be looking at Fiery Intervention here. Although I might still take Grow from the Ashes. Grow from the Ashes just leaves you so flexible. I actually do think that's what I would take. I think hitting land drops is great, and I think the ability to splash is great. Uh, I like Grow from the Ashes as well. Aaron, after first picking Yawgmoth's Vile Offering, settled on Deep Freeze. Hmm. That seems like the weakest of the cards there to me. Um, I think it's like on power i mean it's like on power level with i think call and intervention they're all like good commons that don't quite crack the top three in their color um and i guess grow from the ashes is similar though grow might just be the number three green common or even number two like bailoth gorger seems like a big dumb thing that people are kind of down on these days but yeah i i can see what you're saying about deep freeze not being like the best of the bunch i'm, I'm sort of surprised to see him take it here Moving on to pick three, you see the following options. Call the Cavalry again. Memorial to Genius, that's the blue memorial that you can sack to draw two cards. Goblin Barrage, three and a red. It deals four damage to target creature, and you can kick it by sacrificing a goblin or sacrificing an artifact. I drafted this sweet red deck, like this blue-red wizard's deck that had triple Goblin Barrage, Ooh. and I went to go deal my opponent the last four damage to the face by sacrificing one of my creatures, mm -hmm. and I did not know that creature needed to be a goblin. <laughs> I was very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. So make sure you're aware of that line of text. There's also Sheevan Fire, single red for the instant, deal two damage to her creature. If you kick it for four, you get a deal four damage instead. And Dreadshade, triple black for the 3-3, three, three, and has the ability single black to give it plus one, plus one. Lots of threat of activation going on with the Dreadshade. I mean, probably the best card in the pack is Goblin Barrage, but I've already got a black removal spell. I've got a card that can help me fix my mana. So I think taking this, like, color intensive card and dreadshade is not the worst idea i would think i would rather grab that and try and be green black or try and at least stick to being black with my cast down rather than grab goblin barrage and and go too many different directions too early so here's a hot take i think i've played with goblin barrage a fair amount i don't think it's any better than fiery intervention i think shivan fire is better than goblin barrage interesting so you don't think the like deal four to them is not that relevant like you got some skittering surveyors hanging around I think that's hard to do or harder than you might think. I think that upside rarely is going to be relevant on Goblin Barrage. I'm currently looking at Goblin Barrage as three and a red deal four damage. Okay. Yeah. Well, then. Unless, unless I've already got that other stuff in place and multiple ways to throw it at my opponent's face. Well, that makes Shiv and Fire and Fire Intervention both better than that card. I think so. Interesting. 
So I think after taking Adelie's and Grow from the Ashes here, I'm looking to follow it up with Sheevan Fire for myself. Aaron Rubin, after going Yawgmoth's Vile offering into Deep Freeze, takes Dreadshade, which makes a lot of sense to me. For sure. Moving on to pick four, you see the following options. Pegasus Courser, two and a white for the one, three with flying that can jump another creature in the air when it attacks. Dark Bargain, three and a black for the instant. Look at the top three cards of your library, put two of them in your hand, one of them in your graveyard, and lose two life. And Sergeant at Arms, two and a white for the two, three with kicker of two and a white. And if you kick it, you get two, one, one soldier tokens along with it. What do you think about that? I think I'm pretty bummed because there's not really any black or green here. Um, Pegasus Courser is the best card here, and I think I still should be on taking the best card. It's not that Dark Bargain isn't a card I'm fine to play in my deck. Yeah, like, I, I am, and I think it's it's fine. I just feel like I can get them later, and I don't really want more than one. So I feel like if I want a Dark Bargain and I end up in black, I think I can get one. I don't think I'm sending a huge signal by not taking it here, and... If Pegasus Courser is a signal that white is open, I'm going to be sad that I missed it. So I think grabbing Courser here is correct. I agree completely with everything you just said. I would also be on Courser. Aaron agrees as well and nabbed up the Courser. Moving on to pick five, you see the following options. There's an Invoke the Divine. That's two and a white for the instant. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. You gain four life. Another Memorial to Genius. Joyra's Familiar. This is four mana for the 2-2 flyer that makes historic spells you cast cost one less to cast. And Thalid Omnivore, three and a black for the 3-3 that has the ability of pay one, sacrifice a creature. It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. If the creature you sacrificed was a sapperling, you gain two life. So I think the best card in the pack is Memorial to Genius. This card, I think, is great. I mean, all, all the memorials, minus the red one, and probably minus the white one, like making two one ones just doesn't feel like it does enough late in the game. Um, so basically, the Salt Eye memorials are good, and the blue one is no slouch. But I think Thalid Omnivore is very good. I think it's very, very good if you have tokens. So if you've got, if you're black green and you've got some some things that make multiple bodies like Deathbloom Thalid or Yavamaya Sapherd. If you're black white and you've got Sergeant at Arms or Call the Cavalry, I think it, it's pretty nice as well. Like if you have multiple expendable things, I think it's really good. You don't necessarily need them to be sapperlings and gain that life. It just is like a, a difficult thing to deal with in combat if the controller of it has open mana. So I, I think I would grab that here, just stick to staying black, trying to figure out the rest later. Yeah, I'd be hurting if I'd started Wizards. So, so far in my pile, I've got Adelie's Grow from the Ashes, Sheevan Fire, and Pegasus Courser. So highlighting the drawback of taking a gold card first. You are painting first. the rainbow right now. Yeah, I think I'm fine with Joyra's Familiar. And recently I've been impressed with the curve of Joyra's Familiar into Partic Wanderer as a five drop. Ooh. Five mana, five, five trample. That's that's come together for me a few times in drafts recently. So I think I'd be looking to nab Joyra's Familiar here and try to find my lane because I still do not have a lane. Yeah. Aaron agrees with you and nabbed up Thalid Omnivore. He's been kind of black from the beginning and is sticking with that. Moving on to pick six, you've got a choice between Blood Tallow Candle and Isolated Chapel. Blood Tallow Candle, the one mana artifact that you can pay six, tap, and sacrifice it to give a creature minus five, minus five until end of turn. And Isolated Chapel, a white, black, duel. I have been taking these duel lands kind of highly, especially the blue-green one and the black-green one, because I end up in Sultai colors so often. And, and often those decks are like blue-green splash black, black-green splash blue, that sort of thing. Those lands I feel fine, like, taking early when there's not much else exciting in the pack. And again, like, Blood Tallow Candle is a good card. I would be happy to play it. But like Dark Bargain, I feel like I can get them if I want them, and I don't want a bunch of them. And if I am black-white, Isolated Chapel is going to be a good addition to my deck. So I would grab the land here. 
I think I would agree, not for my draft, but with what you've got, it makes sense. For me, after taking Joyra's Familiar, I'd be on Blood Tallow Candle here. Uh, that card's fine as a one-of, especially in decks that are light on removal a little bit, and certainly goes up if you get some historic value going on. And Aaron landed on Blood Tallow Candle for himself. So I think that's a fine place to wrap up the draft. Aaron currently has no legendaries for his Yawgmoth Vial offering worth noting, so he's now banking on two packs of finding a legendary to turn that on and then even then you know he's hoping to find three legendaries and it's all got to come together i think you're right about those maybe being traps yeah and it's funny on limited resources this week the like end of the episode the like sign off lsv talked about that he thinks this is a trap this is a leak in his game is that he wants these cards he wants to make these cards work like he finds them enticing in draft and he wants he takes them and then he thinks that that is wrong and that's a, a leak in his game and i think it might be for me too like i think i've identified like the ones that are worth building around and i think it's the the, the blue one is the best but even then like i wonder if i take them too highly all right enough of that gp nonsense <laughs> let's get down to the real stuff you and i drafting so i've got one of my drafts here this is actually the most recent draft i did that i felt horribly like a fish out of water so i'm gonna see if you can navigate this any better than i did pack one pick one you see the following options Time of Ice, three and a blue for the saga that lets you tap things down on the first two chapters, and then on the third chapter, bounces everything that's tapped on your opponent's side of the battlefield. Oh, no, no, no. It bounces all tapped creatures. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave the pleb tip last week, okay? So don't blow yourself yeah, out yeah. with your mana dorks. <laughs> Next up, you've got Raph Capuchin, the two white blue for the 3-3 three, three Flash Flyer that lets you cast historic spells as though they had flash. And your rare is Multani, Yavamaya's Avatar, 4 green green for the 0-0, power and toughness equals the number of lands you control, reach, trample, and can be rebought out of your graveyard for the low cost of 1 and a green and returning 2 lands to your hand. Not to just keep being nitpicky Nancy over here, but it's not only power toughness equal to the lands in play for you but lands in your graveyard like yeah yeah this card is so stupid this is this is a stone cold bomb a plus in the format slam dunk first pick yep easy multani so i'm feeling good moving on to the second pick i had some doubt here so cards in contention fiery Ooh, intervention here's before we go so like you you grab a card like this first Harkening mm -hmm. back to our like drafting with a plan episodes do you have a thought already about like what you're trying to do when you have a powerful card like Multani in your pile? Yeah, I want to pick all of the Llanowar Elves. Yeah, right. You want like Llanowar Elves and you want card draw, right? Like, yeah, to, like... fi to find your Multani, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like self-mill to be able to put it in the yard and then get it back, like that sort of thing. Yeah. So pick two, you see the following options. Fiery Intervention, four and a red, deal five to a creature or destroy target artifact. Cloud Reader Sphinx, four and a blue for the three, four flyer that lets you scry two when it ETBs. Settle the score, two black black, exile target creature, on Sarah's wings, three and a white for the legendary enchantment that makes your creature legendary, gives the creature plus one plus one, flying, lifelink, and vigilance, and Garner the Blood Flame, three black red for the three three flash, when it enters the battlefield, all creatures that were put in the graveyard from play get returned to your hand. This is a really powerful pack, uh, I think I would quickly narrow it down to... Maybe not all the uncommons, but like I think Settle the Score and On Sarah's Wings are the best cards of the bunch. And I think Settle the Score is better than On Sarah's Wings, and I think I'd rather be green black than green white. Not that I'm like trying to decide my colors this early, but when you have a powerful bomb like Multani, I think you do like want to try and be that color as much as possible. So I think I would be on Settle the Score here. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think On Sarah's Wings is maybe an intrinsically more powerful card. But I thought black paired much better with the Multani. 
Yeah, that's definitely true. Like that I wanted to be black green more than I wanted to be black white and that the power level differential between on Sarah's wings and settle the score was so little that I didn't feel like I was giving up that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, moving on to pick three, you see the following options. Vidalian Arcanist, one and a blue for the one three. Tap to add a colorless to your mana pool that can only be spent on spells, uh, instants or sorceries, that is. Crocent Druid, two and a green for the two three with kicker four and a green. If it was kicked when it enters the battlefield, you gain 10 life. Fungal Infection, single black for the neg one, neg one, and make a sapperling. And Halar, the Fire Fletcher, one red green for the three three. And whenever you cast a spell that was kicked, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Halar, the Fire Fletcher, and it deals damage equal to the number of plus one, plus one counters on it to your opponent. This pack is a steep drop-off in power level from your second pack. And while I do love Vodalian Arcanist, I don't really want to go into a third color here if I can help it. Fungal Infection, while I think may not be my third best black common anymore, I think Deathbloom Thalad has that title now. Uh, I still really like this card. I'm still happy to play multiple copies of it in a deck, and I would grab it here. Yeah, I agree, and I also grab Fungal Infection, so three for three so far. Moving on to pick four, you see the following options. Divination, two and a blue for the sorcery that lets you draw two cards. Divest, single black, lets you look at your opponent's hand and take an artifact or creature out of it. And Wizard's Retort, one blue blue for the counterspell, and if you control a wizard, it costs one less to cast. Again, another steep drop-off in power level, and no green cards to speak of other than Halar. Since your first pick of Multani, which makes me nervous. But again, I think you just got to take the best card in the pack, and that's going to be Divination. That's what I settled on. I settled on Divination, and I was thinking I was maybe going to have to abandon Multani at this point. Yeah. It was pretty clear that green was getting cut. Moving on to pack five, you see the following options. Win Grace Acolyte, four and a black for the 3-2 flyer. When it ETBs, you mill three and gain three life. Next is Slin Vota the Rising Deep, six blue blue for the 8-8, eight eight and has Kicker one and a blue. If it was kicked when it enters the battlefield, return all aquatic creatures to their owner's hands. And the Antiquities War, the Saga Trap card. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think if I had started the draft a different way, Antiquities War would entice me here. If I had started in some, you know, white or blue historic life, um, or even a black historic life, uh, I could, could see being tempted here. But only if a card like Windgrace Acolyte wasn't in the pack. I think I'd just take that and, and try and stick to being black. I've got Settle the Score. I've got Fungal Infection. I would like to try and be black-green with Multani. But if I end up black-blue with Divination, I think that's fine. But I think I should try and stick to one color here. Yeah, I agree. So I took the Antiquities War here, and I think this derailed my whole draft. So I was just coming off our last episode where we were like, yeah, these are build-arounds. Going deep is great. And I like was going to get cut off Multani. So I was like, all right, I'm going to draft an Antiquities War deck, and it's going to be an awesome deck. And turns out it was not an awesome <laughs> plan. So moving on to the next pick, you see the following options. Gichu Chronicler, that's one in a red for the 1-3 with Kicker 3 in a red and lets you rebuy an instant or a sorcery. Guardians of Koilos, the five mana artifact creature that's a 4 4, and when it ETBs, you may return a historic permanent to your hand if you so choose. And Thalid Omnivore, three and a black for the 3 3 that munches on creatures or other sapperlings. Yeah, I think again, take a black card here, Thalid Omnivore. It's going to be best if we're black green, which means Multani's good, but uh, otherwise it's just fine. Just allows me to continue to be one color, which I think I value in this format. Like, just figure out the rest later, stay, stick to one color. So I took Guardians of Koilos here after taking the Antiquities War, and I was planning on going deep. Mm, Moving nice. on to pick seven, you see the following options. Power Stone Shard, three mana for the artifact that lets you tap to add colors to your mana pool. 
Gift of Growth, the green combat trick that gives plus two, plus two. And if you kick it uh, for two mana, you get that creature plus four, plus four instead. And Woodland Cemetery, the black-green duel. I mean, I'm taking that black-green duel, and I talked about taking the duels a little bit before when we were looking at uh, Seth's draft, and I, I definitely would take the Woodland Cemetery. It still keeps the Multani dream alive, and otherwise lets maybe some splashing happen. But I, I'm not going to miss out on a Gift of Growth. I can feel like I can get that if I want it. Yeah, I I think the Woodland Cemetery makes a lot of sense. I think that's probably the correct pick. However, I was in going deep on Antiquities War Plan, so I snapped up Power Stone Shard here. Also with the thought, this is where my draft really went wrong. Mm-hmm. So I was also snapping up this Power Stone Shard with the thought that maybe I could be blue-green and I was going to wheel Slinvoda the Rising Deep. Mm. Uh, and I could have like Antiquities War and Power Stone Shards. And then the Power Stone Shards were going to be fine because the Antiquities War was going to help me find them. And then I was going to cast Slinvodas. I had all these grand plans and then I didn't wheel Slinvoda and I was like, oh God, <laughs> my pile of cards does nothing. I don't, I mean like, I think in like that's not a bad plan you i feel like that you're drafting smart you're like i'm picking this card with a plan of like this card that normally wheels is gonna wheel like this all sounds fine to me and then pick eight you had a choice between divination Partic wander the six mana five five trample and broken bond and i think we'd both be on divination there yeah probably i might just take Partic wanderer here but that also could fall in the category of like if i want one i can get one like, for, if I want a six-drop finisher, especially if I'm in black, which has Feral Abomination, like, I can get one. So, yeah, Divination feels like the the, the more powerful card. This is a tough draft. Yeah, it's really tough. So I ended up in blue-green ramp-ish with a lot of card draw, a lot of Divinations, a couple Weight of Memory, and the, the Land of War Scouts are actually performing really well mm. when you have card draw. Yeah. The one and a green for the one-three that can tap to put a land on a play. They, they do a pseudo Land of War Elves impression when you're drawing a lot of cards just trying to find my Multani, and I also have an Imbolus's Clutches. But I think your path of, like, sticking to your guns and staying black would have ended up in a better deck. But may not have ended up yielding getting to play Multani. Like, maybe I would have ended up black-blue. Yeah, certainly possible. Powerful cards like that can really warp your draft, I feel like, for, for better or worse, but sometimes for the worse. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap things up. Dominaria is tricky. Yeah, it is. It definitely feels deep. I'm, you know, I'm 80 drafts in. I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. I'm still really enjoying the format, still really enjoying navigating the decks. And also it feels like this format sort of lends itself to decks that I like to draft being good. So that like is sort of cyclical in a way. Yeah, I agree. And I, the other thing I was thinking about this format being complex while we were doing those roundtables these cards have so much text on them. <laughs> so much text. I mean, that kicker provides that a lot, right? Like you know, all these walls of text on commons and just legendary cards there's just a lot of cards that do a lot of things it's complex it's a good time to be a magic player i think it is great time to be a magic player i'm hoping to return here after my little hiatus we're all hoping you return ben we're all missing you all right next episode next week i think we're going to keep diving in giving you what we learn going deeper into dominaria thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give that a listen We've also got our Dominaria treasure hunt underway. I've got two on the board. I think you've got three. I've got three. Trying to trying to stay ahead. You're ahead in the race. I'm coming for you, though. Summer, man. I'm yeah. going to catch up. Five days till summer, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, baby. Uh, if you've got any of those achievements, you can tweet at Lords of Limited and hashtag with DOM treasure hunt. And if you're not on Twitter, feel free to email us screenshots at lordsoflimited at gmail.com or just any questions you might have about the show or any feedback. 
If you want to come spam our Twitch chats, please do so. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben will be returning soon at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're also both under those same usernames on Twitter, at Lord Tupperware, and at Mr. Metronome. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. 